Good morning, Restoration Church and anyone else tuning in. Thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Abe Allen. I lead worship for Restoration Church. And if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We're so glad that uh, you are with us. And if you're a regular attender, we miss you. We miss you a lot. We miss gathering together um, and uh, being in community the way that God really intended us to. But hopefully we are finding ways to serve our neighbors and through technology, living in community despite everything that's going on right now in our country. Would you please join me as we begin our time of worship? We're starting with a song entitled, His Love Changes Everything. Come on and let the light His love change 
His love, His love changes everything. His love, His love, His love changes everything. His love, His love, His love changes everything.
last week. It's called How Can I Keep From Singing? And in spite of anything that's going on in your life, because Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, because he has your life in the palm of his hand, because those who believe in him won't perish, but will have life everlasting, we can't help but have hope. And that's what this song is about. Let's sing it together.
scripture is from Luke chapter 15 beginning at verse 1 now the tax collectors and sinners 
were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your pro property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this time of worship, and we thank you for this time that we can hear from you through your Lord, through your word, excuse me. God, I just thank you so much that you you rejoice when one of us comes back home. When we come back home, you rejoice, God. You are our, our great Father. Even when we're estranged from you, you were calling us back to yourself. And Lord, I pray for anybody listening to this recording this morning, that if they have questions, that through your Holy Spirit those questions would be answered. If they're seeking peace, that through your Holy Spirit you would give them peace. That they are looking for, if they are looking for hope, that through your Holy Spirit you would give them hope. If they are looking for a purpose in life, that through your Holy Spirit you would show them your amazing purpose and divine plan for their lives, God. And we're so thankful to you for that. I pray also for our local church restoration, that they would be comforted, even though we're apart from each other, that you would remind us that community is so important to you, Lord, and I just pray that we would have the strength to make that happen in whatever ways we can. God, I also pray for the world right now as we're going through a bit of a crisis, and I pray for our healthcare workers and anybody out of work, Lord. I ask that this would just come to a swift end and that your mighty hand would just take action in this country. That if this issue, this pandemic was going to go on for years, Lord, that through your your great and awesome power that it would be merely weeks or months. And God, we know that you are faithful to answer our prayers, Lord, if we ask you. It's in Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. All right. Good morning, Restoration Church. Um, my name is Wendell Rollerson. Um, if it is your if your church family, then we know each other, and you can see me, though I can't see you. And if you are um, not um, a member, or if you have not had the opportunity to visit Restoration, you are completely welcome today. I'm so glad to have you on the live cast. Um, in a moment, we're going to have our pastor, um, Pastor Anthony, come and deliver a message from the scripture, which he just read, but I have a few announcements. First is our Easter Savior kits for families to remember Passover. Those are coming up, so look forward to those. There'll be information will be posted on the website or on the Facebook page. Um, and we are approaching Easter, which is something to be incredi- very excited about. Um, that even though all this is happening, we are celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Um, and so we are so glad as Christians and believers in Jesus that um, He did rise from the dead and He did come for um, our sins. So uh, as we get ready for Easter, get your hearts prepared and get them excited. Um, second, if you have any stories, um, anything to share, please post it um, or uh, share it with us. And we would love to get that um, posted on our Facebook page as well. We're going to keep encouraging those stories to come. Um, those are really great. Um, community groups are online. If you are not in a community group or if you have not been able to be involved in a community group um, because of distance or timing, 
Um, right now, thanks to Zoom, we are all online. So if you are waiting to get on one or if you're curious about it, contact us as well. We would love to get you going um, and get you joined in to one of those. Uh, we also have weekly devotions that are happening. Last Wednesday, Abe did a great devotion. And so um, throughout the week, we just want to keep giving the gospel to you guys and, and ways to study and just um, strengthen your relationship with God. So all these things are happening with our church as we are in this um, this time. But uh, God is still great. We are moving forward and we are grateful to have you here with us today. So without any further ado, Anthony. everyone. Typically when somebody says without any further ado, somebody starts dancing, but I promise you that that is not going to happen uh, today. So uh, let me again just welcome all of you, no matter where you're coming from or where you've been. If you are a regular restorationer or somebody that maybe is tuning into us for the first time today, we're super glad to have you. And uh, I'm actually really ecstatic about how, uh, how quickly our team has been able to sort of recalibrate and, and bring worship to you in this capacity. And so you probably noticed this week through a lot of hard work, particularly from one of our staff folk, Gabby Alam, lyrics on your, uh, on your feed. I saw some comments a moment ago of what you guys are saying about that. I uh, really want you guys to keep praying for and encouraging our leadership because they're doing an awful lot to really try to make this time as meaningful as possible. And I guess I want to begin by saying something very similar that I mentioned to you last week. And that is that through the, the beauty of not just technology, but theology, even though our church is scattered right now, as are many, we are still one in Jesus. Nothing can undermine or, or hurt that bond and that bind that we share because we have one God, one faith, one hope, one baptism, and one Lord whose name is Christ. And that's an important statement that I'll come back to here in a couple of minutes. But uh, before we, we revisit that idea, I want to lay the foundation for where we're going today. And there was a, ver a very long scripture we read today, but the irony of that long scripture, it was 32 verses, is it's interesting to me because it's really saying one thing through three different stories. And this is really where we're going to pick up our dialogue today. So over these past weeks, you have probably noticed on TV and even in the Christian teaching community, there's been a lot of talk on fear and, and anxiety, and rightfully so. Um, I'm not at all judging that or trying to say that that's negative. That's a, that's a real thing right now that we need to be mindful of. Some of us, uh, what's going on in the world is, is definitely not ideal uh, for the human heart. And so I, I don't want you to at all hear what I'm saying right now as some sort of uh, critique of that. But I do want to talk about, uh, briefly, what we mentioned in 2 Timothy 1.7 two weeks ago. And that is that Paul challenges us during difficult times to remember that our heart's focus should not necessarily be on the things that are fearful or anxious, although it's natural for the human heart to drift in that direction. What Paul says is that our, our looking to God, our trusting in God, should create the type of sound mind and stable heart that allows us to not be ruled by fear, irrational anxiety. It should actually allow us to be steadied or anchored in Jesus. And I have sort of joked with you all by saying, uh, during these times we want to deeply trust God 
and, and obey science. And with these two things in hand, I think what happens is we are able to develop not a mind or a heart that is restless, but a mind and a heart that is sort of uh, resolved to make the best of the situation that is before us. And, and not just the best, but maybe to see that there are some opportunities in front of us that that exists for the gospel of Jesus, for serving our neighbor and our community, that if we were ruled by fear and anxiety, we might actually miss. And so today, at least for our church family, and all of you viewing this right now, uh, you know, visiting with us, I say that in quotes today, I want to ask your permission to move the needle a little bit away from fear and anxiety towards something that is a, a much more positive heart attitude. That does not mean if you are struggling with fear or anxiety that we are not available to you. We are 24-7 available for those suffering with this. But I want to I sort of reframe our, our perspective of thought here for a few moments. I want to ask us to dwell on and press into something different than fear and anxiety. It's a different heart attitude. It's a common one in the Bible. And it's one that God deeply exemplifies and values for our lives. What is the attitude I speak of? Well, I know you're all asking this question right now, so I'll answer it. It revolves around one single word that was mentioned in Luke 15. The word compassion. Compassion is what I want to talk about today. And so in light of that incredibly significant word, I want to share some key insights with you from Luke 15 about how God's people, especially in times like this, are not meant to be defeated or ruled by fear or anxiety. We're meant to function with extreme wisdom and caution, but we don't want to do that at the expense of understanding one of the responsibilities God has given us in this world, and that is that there is never a circumstance or a scenario where we are challenged to just think about ourselves. In any situation in life, we are certainly to take care of ourselves, but we should have an equal and if you read the Apostle Paul in Philippians, at times we should actually esteem our neighbors uh, higher than ourselves. And so this is sort of a, a balancing act of making sure we're taking care of ourselves, but not at the expense of the needs of those around us. And so in the truest sense, and just like a healthy, a healthy family, we all have, whether you know this or not, you all have a major role to play in how we, especially the people of Restoration, remain a unified family of faith as we live and serve in a world that is clearly anxious in many ways and isolated in others. And so what I'm saying here is that God deeply desires that you and I recognize the crucial reality of what's being mentioned in, in Luke 15. Because if we don't, what will happen is we'll, we'll really miss out on not just the peace of Jesus, but the opportunity that we have to serve others in his name. And the major role we read about is in Luke 15. And this is a passage that, in the history of our church, we're about 10 years old. I've spoken from this text uh, three times. I probably should have done it more. Um, this text today is, is a foundational text in our church life. It's what we would call part of the foundation of who we are and what we do. It informs everything. It's a, it's a compass we use to direct our church family, whether we're gathered in the traditional sense, like you know, in the movie theater on Sunday, or in times like this where the church is, is somewhat scattered. And just so you know, when I use the word scattered, I don't use the word scattered in some sort of, uh, like, as, as some form of defeat or some lesser form or version of Christianity. So you know, our leadership, our ministry, our mission, our church structure was designed not only to endure times like this, but to thrive in them. There's there's really two poles restoration functions from, and we call it the church gather, the times when we are together, 
and the church scattered. The times when we are in our natural spheres of influence, working and serving and, and, and caring for people. And so the one thing I want to drive over these next weeks is that right now God's given us a rhythm to be a little more scattered than we are gathered. And I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing. I actually think this creates a, a pretty profound opportunity for us to be the light in the life of Christ in our spheres of influence, wherever those opportunities present are presented to us. And this really leads me to the, the main idea that I want to talk to you about in, in uh, John, excuse me, in Luke 15, Jesus' words. There's one main idea I want to communicate this morning, that God's compassionate pursuit of us should compel us to passionately pursue those who are far from him. This is what Luke 15 drives home, that the, the way the people or the items that are treated in this passage, there's a direct connection that God is trying to talk to us about, Jesus particularly. He's trying to say the way these items are treated is the way that I treat you, and it's the way that I want you to treat others. And so Luke 15 is perhaps best known for the last story of the three. There's a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then what we know traditionally as sort of the prodigal son, who was lost and found again by his father. That's sort of the driving emphasis of this text. But I want to actually not focus on that at all today, and I want to look at the three stories in succession, because they are more powerful when you see why Jesus tells essentially this, the same story three different ways. In Luke 15, 1-2, we read that a group of tax collectors and sinners are coming to Jesus to hear about God. They've heard about who he is, and they want to understand who this guy is and what he's about. And these two names, tax collectors and sinners, although they are folks whom God deeply loves, in the first century world, uh, the, I'd like to call them the religious elite, the Pharisees, the legalists, whatever you want to call them, these folks viewed these groups of people as far less valuable, uh, unimportant, and you can even go so far as to say un unloved by God. So here, consequently, Luke tells us that the Pharisees, they have a real problem with this. They have a real problem with Jesus uh, because Jesus is hanging around people that they think are not worthy to be around God. So much so that Luke tells us they, they, they sort of slander him, or at least they're attempting to slander him. They say Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners. And this is not a good, it's a good thing Jesus is doing it. But they're not talking about this from the angle of something that is good. They're talking at it from a very hard-headed, sort of legalistic aspect. And the irony in this passage is that the very people, if you look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the very people who are supposed to be the gateway, the bridge, if you will, to helping all people find their way back to a God whom, according to this passage, is clearly compassionate. It is these same people, those who have professed this sort of, you know, followership of God, that, that become the impediment for others to actually find God. That's what's ironic about this, is they are charged with being the gateway to God. And they have literally created so many boundaries and obstacles that people can't get through them, and they become roadblocks to God. And they actually go even beyond that. They begin to see those who care about those who are far from God or struggling or, or hurting or suffering. They actually start to condemn those, in this case Jesus, for they, con they condemn the people that actually embody this, this heart attitude. And so they directly accuse Jesus of compromising God's holiness. And this is like a... This is an offense in the first century world that, that could have you stoned to death. And the contrast here is that 
They're saying because you hang around with people who are far from God, because you are serving your neighbor, because you are dealing with those who are, who are suffering and in need, because you are compassionate to, to the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're saying you're actually undermining uh, the importance and the holiness of who God is. And what this text clearly shows us is that it's really possible for, for people to forget the foundations of what the faith are. And they can actually build a faith that is built on a foundation that is anything but Christian. And so in response to this, Jesus confronts this attitude. And he corrects their misconceptions about God's compassion for people. And to do so, he tells these three stories. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and then the story of the lost son. And what's interesting about the, the narrative here is even though these are three different stories, they pretty much are telling the same uh, moral and spiritual truth. In each story, something that is deeply valued by, by a caregiver is, is lost. And the people that are caring for that item, whatever it is, the sheep, the coin, or the sun, there is a, a profound hurt, a deep compassion that this item is, is lost. And then there's this sort of compulsion to sacrifice in great and meaningful ways to find and bring back that item. And so Jesus uses these lost and found stories to show us a, a profound but often neglected truth for some Christians. And I, I want to say that this is a truth that I think times like this can, can stress. And that's why I want to bring it up, that we don't benevolently fall into this pattern about how we understand our lives before God and the lives of those in our lives that are still far from God, our, the nations and our neighbors. It's very easy at times like this to, to think about self. And I, I'm not discouraging you from making wise decisions for yourself or your family or your friends. I'm just saying I, I want to ask you to broaden your horizons and make sure that you know God has also given you and me a responsibility to think not only about ourselves but others. And so the truth in this passage shows us that all people in this world, no matter who they are or where they are coming from, it does not matter how far from God they might be, it does not matter how uh, deeply troubled they are in their hearts, how, how hard they are in their hearts, how much they're suffering. These were the categories the Pharisees laid on people. They said if you're, if you're like this, or you do this, or you look like this, or you act like this, you're not worthy of God's love. What a text like this teaches us is that there isn't a single person in your life or mine, including ourselves, even if you are the discouraged person today, on this planet, not a single person that God does not deeply love and care for. And unlike the, the religious elite in this passage, whom Jesus is, is correcting, keep that in mind, God looks at the people who are very far from him, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, people just like us at one point in life. If we've all had seasons of suffering and trial, um, we likely will have them again in the future. For some of us, this might be our present season of suffering and trial. No matter where you are in the pendulum of this, it's deeply important that we know that God has a great amount of love, care, and compassion for people because He truly wants us in whatever way we are far from Him. Whether it's outright rebellion like the son we read about in this passage, or negligence, or just scatterbrained, or maybe we at this point in lives have, uh, have learned to value ourselves more than others and in an unhealthy way. God is compassionate towards us. He is kind towards us and wants us to root ourselves in, in His truth. And that's what this whole passage teaches us. There's an important mission here that Jesus gives us that is foundational to to the, the restoration mission. And I would say right now, 
it's accentuated. In other words, we have some really unique opportunities to, to be compassionate towards people. The short story of this passage is God has always loved and been compassionate towards people. In fact, he's harder on the folks here that are not compassionate towards people than he actually is the folks who are very far from him. And it highlights how God has tasked people just like you and I to be the hands and the feet of God's grace and his compassion in our natural spheres of influence. And if you are a, a person who's been at restoration for any amount of time, you know what I mean by natural sphere of influence. If you've not, I want to explain that. A natural sphere of influence simply means that you are unique, uniquely excuse me, positioned in an area of life that no other person on earth is. You have a unique circle of friends. You have a, a unique vocation. You are, you are in school with a certain group of people. You, you truly are like a, a fingerprint. There is nothing else like you in the world. And you are in a circle of influence that in many ways only you can carry the light and life of Jesus to. This is true for every single person that is on earth and, and following Christ. And so it is extremely important during these times, no matter how long we are scattered like this, that we don't see this as an opportunity to just wait to get back to business as usual, but that we might recognize God is trying to redeem the situation through us to do great and powerful things, not only for His, for his glory, but for the good of people. In other words, that we would never tire of doing good in the name of Jesus. So, so please hear me. While it might be tempting to only think about ourselves in times like this, I, I recognize the temptation of that. And uh, we see this actually in our culture in some areas. We see both the best and the worst of humanity. A situation like what we're in right now, it, it's going to emphasize the deficiencies of our heart. It's going to show the places where we might need to trust Jesus a little more. But what, what I want you all to know, and I apply this truth to me, is that times like this are where we might even justify functioning in selfish or, or myopic ways. But times like this are not exempt from the passage we just read in Luke. There is no season or circumstance where the compassion of God is not available to people. And right now, a sizable portion of humanity, not all of humanity, but a sizable portion of humanity is best known for their apparent obsession with hoarding uh, toilet paper. I'm not joking uh, with you. I've gotten, uh, I got one text this morning, like there's a network of people talking about where toilet paper can be found. And although there's some satirical humor in this, there's also some stuff that's not so funny in it. It's, it's very important that we know when all of this is behind us, and we'll move through this our country will move on, the kingdom of God will move forward. When, when this is behind us, it's really important that we who claim the name of Jesus are identified and known as people who, who are not marked necessarily by shoving their neighbor out of the way to take more than they need at the expense of their neighbor. I mean, who wants to have this etched on their gravestone? Here, here lies Anthony, a man best known for buying every roll of toilet paper in North America while his neighbors had none. Right? You, that, that's not necessarily our A-game in life. That's not the thing we want to be defined by. And you, you actually can have, uh, you can have a selfish attitude like this if we miss a passage like the one, one we're reading. Or we can be the types of people who recognize that if we have an abundance or a surplus, whether that's that we're emotionally stable right now and it means we can care and support somebody who's down, whether that's financially, meaning maybe we know somebody who is struggling right now, our resources, whatever they are, they are the kinds of things where we, we, you know, we, we don't want to neglect ourselves, but we also want to be mindful of the fact that there are ways we can serve our neighbor as an opportunity, and we have opportunities that we might not even see 
if we are so blinded by this sort of tunnel vision that that a lot of our grocery stores are seeing. And I'll I give you two clear examples of this. Um, this week alone, I had the opportunity to help a neighbor do some yard work, and I actually had the opportunity to give somebody toilet paper. You know, we don't have tons of it, but we have enough to share. And it's kind of funny, like, toilet paper is like a gold standard commodity right now. And I'm, I'm not saying this to say, like, look at what I did. I'm just saying by walking around your neighborhood or being out in your, your front yard, You'd be surprised what you can hear uh, as we're socially distanced from neighbors across our street, talking to them about their needs. And when we have the ability to meet these needs, we should. And that is really what Luke 15 is driving home. It drives home the point that God desires we show sacrificial compassion to the people he places in our lives. This should be one of the battle cries of our hearts over these next weeks or months or whatever they are. And these three stories that Jesus tells us, they're meant to show us what the compassion of God is like. So we will know not only how to experience it, this is a critical statement here, one of the best ways you can display the compassion of God to the people that are in your natural spheres of influence is by first being a person who has experienced it. In other words, when, when you have actually recognized who Jesus is and you have experienced His grace and the fact that he loves you deeply, that should reshape the human heart to the place where, where a healthy contagion is born, where we start to share that same type of love in our community and our culture. And so what's, what ties these stories together is not simply that something that mattered is missing. That is one of the themes here. Rather, what really ties these stories together is that, that what was missing mattered to someone. Every entity in this passage had a deep value to the person that was looking for it. And that's why the owners of these items in these stories, they go to great lengths to get them back. In the case of the sheep, who is essentially lost because of personal ignorance, we know that you know sheep have a herd mentality and they can tend to, like if one sheep runs off a cliff, 50 will follow that sheep. The idea here is that here's, here's a sheep, something not necessarily known as being the smartest animal on earth, but there's something that happens in life, some form of ignorance, that causes this, this sheep to stray. And the response of the shepherd is not what the Pharisees do. The response of the shepherd is to leave the flock to go after that one. In the case of the silver coin, which is lost due to carelessness, right? there's a misplacement of this valuable item. This woman tears this house apart, searching for it until she finds it. It's sort of like, if you, if you envision this uh, in your head, it's somebody who is frantically looking for something they care about dramatically, and they will relentlessly look for it until they find it. They, nothing is going to stop that person from finding that item, because it matters to them so much. And in the third story of the lost son, which is slightly different than the first two, and probably the one that connects most with us, because this is a story not about a, an animal or an item, it's a story about a person. This is where Jesus begins to make his point. And so here we see that the, the lost son is lost not because of a benevolent ignorance or a carelessness. He's lost because of an outright stubbornness. This is a person who has, has really made a choice to, to move away from his father. And he lives in what is, what is taught as outright rebellion here. And he has to be brought to his senses to see that. But what's interesting about the way he's brought to his senses is what I want to point out today. If, if this lost son was at this conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, 
the Pharisees, the legalists, the religious elite would have qualified him as one of the, the tax collectors and sinners, the, the low people on the pole. He's somebody who is very far from God and they believe is not worthy of his love. But in this passage, we see that the father treats this, this son very differently. There isn't a hard-hearted or a callous judgment. The eyes of this person's heart are eventually open in large part, not due to a cold and callous uh, response from his father. Rather, it is due to his father showing him a relentless compassion. In Luke 15, 20, we read that there's four actions the father takes. And we should take note of them because it sort of gives us a roadmap to think about how we, how we know and see our neighbors or even our own selves at life in times when we're, we're struggling. This, this father is not, you know, pitching a fit angry that his son is lost. He's deeply grieved that he's lost. And in Luke 15, 20, we read that the father is watching for him. In other words, he's, he's perpetually and, and in a healthy way, he is anxious for the day that his son returns. And that when his son does return, there isn't a hard hand of judgment. There is a, a, there's an unending well of, of compassion, one that startles the people around him. Like other people get angry, that just like the Pharisees, that the father is so compassionately wired to receive his son, to bring him home. And then we see that the father doesn't only just wait for the son to come, he runs out into the field to meet him. He's so exuberantly overjoyed that he, he runs to, to, to grab him because he is so ecstatic that what has been lost is now found again. And then uh, he embraces him and, and kisses him when he is, uh, is found. And I've, I've shared this before that uh, we have a, a pretty diverse group of people in our church, some from the Midwest, some from like the Northeast, like me. So in our family, uh, it's very common for me to kiss my son. We do it pretty normally. Um, but we have some Midwesterners right now in our church that probably shut the feet off when they heard that the father kissed his son. Uh, in fact, we have one gospel partner who always talks about the way in the Midwest is that you don't kiss somebody, you bring them a cold dish or a, a hot dish and a, a distant handshake. So whatever part of the country you're from, whatever way you embrace or show affection, that's what I want you to think about here. Uh, I kiss my son normally on the cheeks. That's just the way we Italians do it. And it is a sign of affection. And that's exactly what happens here. Everything that I just mentioned is both a sign of compassion and, and absolute overjoy that, that somebody, in this case, is back and reconciled with his father. And so in each story, what we see is that the lost items mattered so much to their caregivers that they make great sacrifice to find them. And that's what I want to drive home today. And although Jesus gives us this truth in the form of, of analogy, he's telling three they're parables, they're three stories, they're, they're, they're meant to reveal a very serious spiritual reality about our relationship with God and a very serious reality about our relationship with other people. These are stories meant to give us a very hard truth. Hard meaning like a fixed truth, a concrete one. Simply put, there are many people in our world right now who are like these lost objects, who for various reasons, uh, their hearts have strayed from God. Uh, maybe they are so mired down with, with struggling or suffering or anxiety or depression that they're not a stable mind and sound heart. They truly are being ruled by fear. The moral of this story is that those, those people, and I don't use that in a derogatory sense, because at seasons in life, we are those people. None of us escape these realities. But those people are not an afterthought for God. They have never been a secondary cause for God. They have always been a primary thought to God, a major priority to God. 
because in the same way Jesus loves you, he loves your neighbors, no matter where they are in life. And he wants you and your neighbors to come home to him. He does not desire that we are steeped in anxiety right now. What God desires is that we are steeped in, in trust and patience and resilience and perseverance. And so the same way that Jesus deeply loves you and I is the same way that God wants us to love the people in our lives when those opportunities arise. And Jesus' words show us because God is compassionately concerned about reaching people who are far from him, the, the reality here is that he's compelled to relentlessly pursue them. It's, let me put it this way. God's character is so steeped in compassion that it means there is no other option for him. He pursues people. Time and time again in the Bible, we see God's grace pursuing people who are even running from it or, or rejecting it. And that is the reality of people that might have very hard hearts right now or are so hopeless that they cannot see the type of light we're talking about here. My encouragement to you is that you have to be patient and compassionate because our hope as a church is that we would have the same level of rejoicing that heaven does when people take a step towards Jesus in whatever way that is, physically, spiritually, or emotionally. That, that the compassion that we have for the burden of our neighbors, this is, this is why we started this church. It's in our foundational documents. I wrote them 10 years ago. This is the bedrock of who we are. It's why we've named our church Restoration. It comes from the verse in Romans that talks about the day when the whole, the whole world is sort of groaning for the day of restoration. The idea that, that situations like what we're dealing with right now, they really emphasize the fragility and, uh, of stability in our lives. But there is a hope beyond that. And that hope is found in Jesus. And Jesus is found in us. And this is where the real challenge in this passage can arise for those of us who, who really do love Jesus. Because this moves us. This passage moves us just from, from a teaching about how to care for, for people to an actual responsibility we have. Teachings like this, especially if you look at the religious people here, who, who really missed this, they were the people that were the guardians of these truths. Yet they had never been moved to the place where they actually lived this type of heart attitude out in their own lives. The religious elite Jesus addresses in this passage, they probably could have written 50 or 80 page documents about compassion, but they had never been moved to the place in their hearts where they actually showed it to other people. And what this teaches us as followers of Jesus and as a church family is that being theologically correct in our understanding, in this case of compassion, Although that is incredibly important, I'm sharing with you a truth about compassion from the Bible, right? So it is important that we have a theological understanding of what compassion is. But at some point, that theological understanding has to change the way we live. So what we claim to know about God's compassion towards us, at some point has to burden us to, to, to pursue others who are far from Him. And in this way, we, we really can spiritually check our own oil. We can actually say, am I the type of person who is really thankful for God's compassion in my own life, but I have a really hard time showing it to others? Or maybe there's been a benevolent ignorance, meaning like you deeply understand God's compassion for you, but these stories we've shared today, maybe this is the first time you, you've actually been confronted with the truth that we weren't told these stories as like an end game. This was the beginning of, the, of Christianity, that we would not only embody and receive this type of compassion from Jesus, but that we would show it to other people. And so simply put, 
Our knowledge and experience of God's compassion in our own lives must reshape our lives to be more compassionate towards others. And that's a question I would challenge you to think about today. Are you a person who exemplifies this type of compassion? And this is especially important for us to understand when it comes to what we invest our time, our finances, and our efforts in as a church. And by as a church, I mean we, the body scattered, are the church. It's very important to understand what, what we're doing, what we're investing our time, our finances, and our efforts in over these next days, when it is very likely that some of our brothers and sisters in Jesus and some of our neighbors are likely to have great need. Because Jesus clearly says in Luke 15 that one of the main ways God has chosen to pursue those who are far from Him, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, is not by asking them, don't take offense about what I'm, what I'm going to say right now, but the greatest way we care for these folks is not by asking them to come to church on Sunday um, or to come to us in general. I'm not knocking inviting people to environments like this or, you know, in historical days when we gathered on Sunday. This is a beautiful thing we do and we really value it. But if ever there was a time that has proven the potential fallacy of this method, that the only way to minister to the world is to bring people into a room to hear somebody like me speak. A time like this has shown us the importance of not just the church gathered, but the significance of the church scattered. We cannot be compassionate. I can't be compassionate with my neighbor if I stay in our church office all the time. So what, the, what is before us now is a, is a really great opportunity to, to be the light in the life of Christ in our natural spheres of influence. God's people were never meant to be reduced to or, re, or sort of just sort of identified by a Sunday morning, although this is a very important time for us. This time is meant to be somewhat catalytic, to encourage you and rewire you and, and refuel you to, to not only experience these truths, in the case of today, the blessing of Jesus in your life, we are encouraging you now to be the blessing of Jesus in somebody else's life. The very encouragement we read about God compassionately pursuing us is the takeaway for today. And next to how this shapes our heart should be a desire to, to be compassionate towards others. And so I want to encourage all of you watching this to know that our church has always desired to be known as a powerful force for good. The scripture literally says, do not ever tire of doing good. And what I want to say to you today is that I don't know in the history of the 10 years that I have pastored this church that we have ever been given an opportunity to be worn out by doing good like we have now. And I want to encourage you to press into that in responsible ways. I'm not asking you to do anything that violates health codes or standards. Please hear me. Trust God. Listen to science. But I do want you to think about what it means to, to, to look beyond the walls of your house and into the needs of your neighbors. Because every one of you has a time to shine for Christ right now. And I'll close today by sharing a great example of this, thing, of this, of what I'm talking about. You know, I, I have said before that in times of trial or crisis like this, we typically see extremes in our world. We see both the best and the worst of humanity. And one of the things I have most loved about our church is what I would call the natural ways that people compassionately serve and, and care for others. Meaning, I'm, I'm actually talking about a biblical truth today that is pretty prevalent in, in our church. I see it a lot. And I don't see it a lot because I'm having to say we need to do it. I see it a lot because people, I think, really love Jesus and are trying to follow Him well. And this week, a congregant um, had called me early 
on a Monday morning about something that was uh, going on in, in Titusville. They were working in Titusville. And to make a long story short, what happened is, is this person was, was working on the job, and they had come across a, 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 an elderly couple. Uh, they were Canadians that were beginning their migration back north. And they were in Titusville, and they had stopped at a store to use the restroom. And when they had gone into the store, they came out and uh, they, they couldn't find their car. And they actually believed that their car was, was stolen. And so rather naturally, they, they were pretty frantic about the whole situation. Their, you know, their goods and commodities, their medicines, everything was in that vehicle. And for about an hour, they were in front of that store, uh, really besides themselves, trying to figure out what to do. And what I'm about to tell you right now is is important because this is a great example of what happens when our eyes are open. So this person, this partner, this this uh, deeply valuable person in our church spent that whole time with that old couple, comforting them and encouraging them, uh, called me to ask if we had any resources in Titusville. We began to look into that. And eventually what happened is about an hour later, um, the police had shown up. And as they began to take the report, they had worked through the situation with that couple, and they realized that the car was not stolen. It was just that the, the, the elderly couple had actually misplaced their car. They thought it was stolen from them. And so what I share with you here is not, um, not a false crime. What I, what I share with you is the fact that one person who lives in this area was almost an hour away in another area and became a lifeline for love, care, and compassion at great sacrifice to themselves, you know. This would be like you having to stop working to care for people. And the beauty of this story, I mean, we're thankful that the car wasn't stolen, obviously. But the beauty of the story is that I couldn't have made up a story like that if you asked me to. Like, I, I couldn't fabricate an illustration of an opportunity that God could provide somebody to care for somebody. Yet, earlier in this week, that's exactly what happened. And so stories like this are happening amongst all of you. I know they are. And I want to encourage you, like Wendell did a few moments ago, to, to share them with us. What I would love to do is reverse the paradigm. Typically, we're gathered, and I'm sharing with you what's going on when uh, sort of we're out in the world. Now, what I want to do is really hear from you and what's going on in your world so that I can share this stuff with you. And maybe even you can share this stuff here. That's something else we're looking into is having safely congregants come and sort of share testimony stories. I'd like you all to know what's going on in the life of our body because the last thing I want you to take away from this time is that rest restoration has been sort of impeded or crippled from, from doing good work in our community and amongst our neighborhoods. I think uh, we want to balance the suffering that we deal with in the world with a celebration of opportunity we have to, to be people who alleviate that suffering wherever it's presented to us. And so remember, as we close this morning, the greatest example we have of God's compassion to us or towards us is Jesus' sacrificial generosity on the cross. It's the greatest example of him giving every, everything and, and receiving nothing in return. There's, there is no, no way we could ever repay or earn what he's done for us. And that is the beauty of Christian generosity. It's the way we should see our neighbors. We, we should, when the opportunities present themselves, live in ways that are sacrificial and generous so that people can, through the meeting of needs or the encouragement of emotions, uh, through the, the, the support of somebody's soul, whatever it is, they can experience Jesus through you and I. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage is that there are people that have been sent into, into these situations not just to, to, to observe, but to, but to retrieve that which is lost. 
and suffering. And so this week I encourage you to know God deeply loves you. But I also want you to know that God also loves your neighbor, whether that's the physical person living next door to you or the person in your cubicle or in your workplace. I want our church, it's my prayer that when all this is said and done, we would truly be known as a people that are defined by compassion and sharing, inviting people into the God-honoring community that we have spent uh, the better part of 10 years building here. So we have been meant to, to reign in a way right now where we bring light and life to our world. So... With that in mind, I want to I close this section that I have a couple of parting words that I'll uh, share with you, and then we will we'll dismiss. But if you would, just pray with me so we can wrap up this teaching. Father Heaven, we do thank you for teachings like this that really do highlight the reality of what it means to be human. Um, in no way, uh, it's my prayer, uh, I hope that nobody took from this teaching that there's something wrong with being anxious or fearful, um, that there's something wrong with suffering. God, these are natural realities we face as humans. Uh, my only hope today is that we would recognize uh, we are not alone in this, that there are uh, men and women that you have put on this planet to encourage people during times of trial, and that you on your throne, God, are the greatest advocate we have to, to, to fill the wells of our hearts, no matter how dry they are right now. And that last story of the, the father's affection for the son is the greatest, perhaps one of the greatest uh, metaphorical truths we have in the Bible of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged in our souls if we struggle this week, but also challenged to the place where we learn to esteem and value others with the same regard that we have for ourselves. May our lights shine brightly this week as we move back into our world, whatever that looks like right now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So thank you for being here with us today. I, I just want to mention uh, two important things regarding our, uh, our church. And so uh, the first is that if we were physically gathered right now, what would happen is, is we, would, we would give you some time to sort of pray and meditate on what I've spoken about. And a lot of times uh, you all will submit information to us. If you're struggling with something, or you have a need or you need to be prayed for, or you, you had a question about what was said here or even an objection, this is the time we would do that. And so I want you to know that uh, that hasn't changed. We're just going to do it in a digital format. You can privately message us through Facebook. You can email the office. If you have a need in your neighborhood or you have a need, we want you to communicate those things to us. Obviously not on a public thread form like what we have to the right of your screens now, but through these private tools we have. Our whole staff is available for you uh, this week. So keep in mind, if God has worked in your life or you have questions about God working in your life, please, uh, please invite, that into a, uh, invite us into that. We want to support you during this time. I also want you to know, for those of you who are Gospel Partners or members, thank you for your continued uh, contributions, your tithing and support. If you are the type of person who has traditionally uh, given on a Sunday morning through our giving towers, we've encouraged you to shift that giving to online giving, or you can physically mail checks to our office. All of this will be posted on Facebook and is at our website if you need the particular details for that. It's incredibly important to remain faithful during these times so that we can meet the, the possibility of escalated uh, benevolence needs. But I also want to tether what I said there with what I'm going to say now. And that is uh, sacrificial generosity with our time, our talents, and our treasures cannot be limited to a single church, meaning um, this posture of generosity, which has always been a defining mark of our church. I pray that it continues with us as the body, and it expands in, in your world. So be looking for opportunities 
to be generous, not just with, with your brothers and sisters in Jesus at restoration, but with the people that are in your world. Be generous like Jesus has been generous with us in whatever way he provides that opportunity. And the last thing I'll say here is that uh, two weeks ago and last week, we, we offered a sort of a communal prayer to you to pray for the comfort and peace of healing everywhere, to pray for God to help us love our neighbors as ourselves, and to pray for the officials and the healthcare workers who are on the, the front lines of this situation. What we're going to do this week is we've, we've posted this before, but we're going to put this up in a paragraph form on our website and, and our Facebook page. We want this to be available to you so that we can corporately pray this prayer together. In other words, uh, I'm sort of asking you to make this a part of your liturgy this week, that these three things are the things we as a body are, are corporately uh, praying for, and that God would show us in the way we pray whatever opportunities we have to, to be part of the solution in these areas. And so if you have questions about anything, uh, anything we've discussed this morning, just get in touch with us by phone, uh, email, or private message, and we'll do our best to get back with you as soon as we can. So even though we are scattered physically, theologically we are one in Jesus. And I do not want you, you know, ending this time we have together thinking that, that you are alone. You are united with God the Father in heaven, His Son, and the power of His Holy Spirit. And we are united with each other because the same power of God that lives in us is what binds us together. We have one hope and one Lord and one faith. And so I pray that that the experiential side of, of, of what it means to be bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit would really overflow your hearts, overflow in, in your hearts this week. And so uh, you're probably ready to eat lunch. I know I am. I'm getting pretty hungry. So I'd like to end in our traditional way, and that is by giving you our, our benediction. Thank you for being with us this week. Make sure you tune in to everything that's going on throughout this week. Stay connected with us. And, and as you go, remember that God is a God of compassion who has poured his love out upon us in unfathomable ways. And I encourage you and challenge you this week to, to step into that, to press into that, to be the type of person who, because you have experienced the compassion of Christ, begins to show it to others. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, stay safe and well. Amen.